This week on the Myths and Legends podcast, there are three stories of Loki, the famous trickster from Norse mythology. You'll see Asgard turn into the most violent retirement home ever, and we'll see Odin come up with Shin Tinder, a matchmaking service where people rate potential matches based on the attractiveness of their shins and feet. The creature this week doesn't matter, because if you see an army of squat, naked men charging your way, who cares if they're mythological creatures? Just run. This is the Myths and Legends podcast, episode 51, Them Apples. This is a podcast where I tell stories from folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories you might not have heard, but really should. Real quickly, there's a new and fascinating true crime podcast from Earwolf. It's called Stranglers. Have you heard of the Boston Strangler? There were 13 gruesome murders, and they happened between 1962 and 64. The city was terrified. Thousands of suspects were questioned, but no one was ever convicted. Hear from the victims, and the detectives close to the case, and the investigators who are still on the job. You'll even hear the voice of an alleged killer, whose confession raised more questions than it answered. Subscribe to Stranglers on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. We're back in a mythology that needs no introduction, though I'll do one anyway. It was the religion of people in Scandinavia and Iceland. The main characters in today's story are the Aesir, led by Odin and his wife Frigg. The Aesir include Thor, Freya, Loki, Heimdall, and others, and they are in a constant cold and not-so-cold war with the giants of Jotunheim. The world tree connects the nine worlds, and we're going to catch up with Odin, Loki, and another member of the Aesir, bravely traversing one of the worlds. For some reason. Odin, Loki, and Hynir, another member of the Aesir who doesn't have a consistent backstory, were far, far from home and lost. Like a line at the DMV with a two-year-old or any trip to Ikea ever, it wasn't fun anymore and they just wanted to go home. Cranky, lost, and tired, they were also hungry. It had been hours since they saw anything, and since Thor wasn't along with his nightly goat buffet, things were looking dire. Then, they saw the oxen. An hour later, they had killed an ox, started a fire, and closed up the cooking pit. As we've talked about in the show, stolen meat is the best meat, and they were salivating over this surely tasty ox. A few hours later, they opened the cooking pit, and the heat blasted Loki in the face. He uncovered the meat to see that it was still raw. He could barely get close enough to the meat to feel it because of the heat, but when he did, it was still cold. He shrugged, covered it, and told the guys it needed probably a few more minutes. Another hour later, Odin checked it, and the meat was still cold. He asked the other two what was going on, and a voice from above replied, Oh, the ox? The voice said. I just used my magic on it. It won't cook unless I say so. The three looked up and saw a giant eagle perched on the tree above them. Oh, okay, Odin said. Well, can you reverse the magic to cook the ox? I can, the eagle said, with as much of a smile as an eagle can muster. Odin sighed. Okay, what will it take for you to reverse your magic and cook the ox? The eagle said that he was glad Odin asked. He just wanted his share of the meal. The three agreed, and in an instant they smelled the super lean, mildly gamey ox meat. It was ready for them to eat. The eagle, who was totally just a normal talking eagle and not a supernatural creature, had cooked it in an instant. 
The eagle swooped down and, in minutes, had his fill of the best cuts of the meat. There was a lot left on the ox, but it was tough and really not great. Still, they hadn't stipulated that the eagle could not take the best of it, so what was done was done. Still, Loki took issue with this. No one tricks a trickster. He raised this grievance with a stick to the back of the eagle's head, except that it never connected. It was a giant, magical, talking eagle. Before Loki realized it, the eagle was in the air in front of him. Even though he lost all of his sneak attack bonuses, he decided to keep attacking. He only got two swipes in before the eagle grabbed the stick with his talons and flew. Loki thought the eagle was trying to wrench his weapon away from him, and so he held on. This was a mistake. The giant magical talking eagle being a giant magical talking eagle lifted Loki bodily from the ground. In a few moments, and before Loki thought to let go, they were in the clouds, with Loki dangling precariously from the stick. He immediately regretted attacking the eagle. He would come to regret it a lot more. The eagle flew to the mountains and dipped Loki down, scraping him against sharp rocks, thorns, and tree branches. Eventually, the eagle introduced himself as the shape-shifting giant named Thiazi, and said politely that he had a small favor to ask of Loki. First, no more hitting him with a stick. That's rude. Second, he would really appreciate it if Loki brought him someone from Loki's home, Asgard. The woman's name was Eden, and she had magic apples. Loki hesitated, and the eagle continued. He said he would let Loki go regardless, either from 10 feet or 10,000. It was Loki's choice. Loki chose the option that included some mild kidnapping and him not dying. The eagle turned around. We should talk super quickly about Eden and her apples of youth, which, yeah, that's exactly what it sounds like. Now, a couple points. She's a goddess and a member of the Acer, but her name and apples predate Christianity's arrival in Scandinavia, so it really has no relation to the Garden of Eden and those apples. Also, apples, too, arrived with Christianization, so in the original Norse, they were just fruit or nuts. That being said, they're incorrectly called apples in many stories and depicted as such an art, so I'm just going to keep them as apples. Also, the episode title makes a lot more sense that way. Anyway, her produce was a great source of fiber, vitamin C, and immortality. Anyone who ate her apples would have their youth returned to them. I'm not so sure about invulnerability, but I think it's more like where elves from the Lord of the Rings can live forever but still die in battle or from a broken heart. Regardless, she was someone the Acer definitely wanted to keep around, and Loki had just promised to lead her off to be the captive of a dangerous, yet curiously polite giant talking eagle. Minutes later, the eagle dropped Loki off back with Odin in Hynir, literally, and he flew away. Odin, licking the last of the grease from his hands, looked at Loki as Loki painfully rose to his feet and picked twigs from his hair. Odin was awkward, and he told Loki that people being swept up by eagles happens way too frequently. Odin and Hynir had to move on with their lives. Loki narrowed his eyes, and by that you mean... We ate the rest of the ox, Odin said, with an awkward... Vaguely apologetic smile. Alright, let's get back on the road. We don't know why they were out together, and it's said that nothing of any consequence happened to them for the rest of their journey. Back in Asgard, Eden walked around with her basket of apples, handing them out to the Acer. Loki took one bite, and while still in earshot, just muttered a, hmm. Eden turned to him. Oh, I'm sorry. Are my free apples that give you immortality not good enough? 
Loki shrugged. He said, I mean, they're okay. Not as good as these apples I found when I was out with Odin, which also might give immortality. But, you know, whatever. She sneered at him. She really liked having the market cornered on produce that gave immortality. This threatened to upset the figurative and literal apple cart. She asked Loki to take her to this tree so that she could see if this fruit really was better than hers, slash maybe burn the tree down. Loki agreed, but told her to bring her apples for comparison. A few days later, the pair was standing by the bones of the ox in the cooking pit. Eden had her sack of apples slung over her back, and she saw a gnarled and warped tree next to her, but nothing else for miles and miles until the mountain range in the distance. She asked Loki where the tree was, and he said, oh, sorry, no, there's no tree. Your apples are the best. Also, I may have made a deal with a talking bird who's actually a giant in disguise. See that speck in the sky? He's coming to kidnap you. Once again, so sorry. You can run, but there's nothing for miles. He's going to get you. Eden's eyes widened. She cursed Loki, and she ran in the opposite direction. She made it farther than Loki thought she would before Thiazi swooped down from the sky and grabbed her. She fought, but soon his talons wrapped around one of her arms and the bag of apples. He carried her away. Loki waved, but the giant pretended not to see him, which Loki thought was rude considering the bag of free immortality apples, but whatever. He started the long walk back to Asgard. Sometime later, there was a plague in Asgard. All the Acer found themselves afflicted. It started with crow's feet around the eyes. Then came the jowls, grain temples and beards, and finally, the liver spots. It didn't take long to put two and two together. This had Loki written all over it. And the suspicion was confirmed when they learned that Eden was last seen leaving Asgard with Loki. They brought him to the throne room and put a sword to his neck, threatening torture or death or torture and death. They really were not getting any younger anymore, and they were getting impatient because they were going to miss the early bird. Loki, who apparently never thinks anything through, panicked and told them everything. They sighed and said, as usual, Loki would need to make this right. They all knew the giant's name and where he was. He was in Jotunheim, of course, the world of the giants, but in his icy mountain abode, Thrymheim, which means Thunderholm. It was on the highest mountain peak in Jotunheim where the snows never melted, and, presumably, there was a lot of thunder. Sidebar, I really tried to work in a Thunderdome reference, but I just couldn't make it happen. As he did in the episode with Thor's wedding, Loki borrowed Freya's cloak of falcon feathers, which, in that episode, only gave him the ability to fly. But in this one, he turned into a giant falcon. The Acer definitely did not want him walking to Jotunheim, at their current rate of decline. A short while later, Loki was making the icy steep, and thundery flight to Thunderholm. He saw an open window and barreled through. And, to his amazing luck, the Aussie was out fishing in the sea, which, from the highest mountain in giant land, is pretty far away. Loki breathed a sigh of relief and found Eden. She was mad, but he said they could argue about who left who to be kidnapped by giants later. He needed to get her out of here. He told her to pick up the apples. She did, and stood there confused. She said that Loki even with his feather cloak, was still Loki-sized. He couldn't carry her all the way back to Asgard. He said, yeah, I know. This is going to get weird. Boop. And he tapped her on the forehead. And she transformed into a nut, because apparently Loki can do that. 
he put the falcon cloak back on, scooped up the nut, and dove out the window. It was a peaceful flight until it wasn't. About halfway back, Loki heard the thunder. When he came home, Thiazi rightfully deduced what had happened and took off. He was much larger than Loki and might catch him by the time he made it back to Asgard. Loki beat his wings faster. He looked round and he knew there was no turning back. As he approached Asgard, his mind raced and he thought, what could he do? The sound of thunder followed him, coming from Thiazi's wings as the giant got closer. Then, Loki saw the Acer assembled on the wall. Loki knew what they were doing. The Thunder Eagle giant was right behind him, and Loki dove. The giant dove too, and Loki swooped over the wall. Once Loki was clear, the Acer lit the fire, and it exploded. A few red shirt Acer were consumed, but the giant was hit as well. Still carried by the momentum, he tumbled along the wall, a smoldering pile of feathers, until old man Thor walked up to him and said, Oh, you're on fire. Let me put you out with my hammer. To Thor's credit, he did actually put out the fire too. Loki turned Eden back from a nut, and the Acer tore into her apples. Loki was glad everything worked out, with only a couple kidnappings, and a flaming corpse on the walls of the fortress. All's well that ends well. After the break, we'll see that it is very much not over, and that Loki is about to experience the most painful tug of war of his entire life. That will be right after this. This week's episode is brought to you by Vistaprint. So Vistaprint is cool, with traveling and decorating and shopping and, you know, life. This time of year can get pretty busy. It's pretty easy to let something like holiday cards slip through the cracks, except that now you kind of don't have an excuse. Now through December 6th, you can get 60% off holiday cards. They have many awesome designs to choose from, and you can upload photos from your computer or even Facebook. The process is super easy. I did mine in minutes and checked that off the list. All quantities, styles, and stocks are 60% off. I really liked how quick and easy it was to order cards on Vistaprint, but if you're thinking about it, do not wait, because this offer expires December 6th, 2016. To get 60%, that's 6-0, off holiday cards, visit vistaprint.com. Create and design your custom holiday cards. Enter code MYTHS60, M-Y-T-H-S-6-0 at checkout. That's MYTHS60, and your savings will be applied automatically. It's that easy. This is an amazing offer, and it's only good through Tuesday, December 6th. So don't wait. Go to vistaprint.com and get your holiday shopping done today. This week's episode is brought to you by Movement Watches. If you have someone on your holiday shopping list who you're having a difficult time finding something for, let me recommend Movement Watches. They look super nice, they have a classic design and quality construction, and a cool minimalist style. But because they sell online, they cut out the middleman, and they can provide the best possible price. And a lot of people agree. They've sold over half a million watches. I think they look and feel just as good as the $400 to $500 watches at department stores, but they start at just $95. I've been getting compliments ever since I put mine on. It looks great, and it feels like a really high-quality watch. Check them out. Really, I just spent hours at the mall with a two-year-old. I'm exhausted. Do not make my mistake. You can skip the crowds and crazy lines and be done with your shopping with a click of a button, and the prices will beat the department stores. Better yet, you can get 15% off today with free shipping and free returns by going to mvmtwatches.com myths. This watch has a really clean design and high-quality feel. 
now is the time to step up your watch game. So go to mvmtwatches.com slash myths, M-Y-T-H-S. Join the movement. All right, now back to Loki's painful hijinks. A week later, a fully armed giantess named Scotty showed up at the gates of Asgard, demanding vengeance for her father, Thiazi. Odin said, sorry, that doesn't ring a bell. I don't know what you're talking about. She said, are you sure? Are you sure it's not that giant-sized bird corpse up in the wall? Odin sighed. Oh, that was still there. All right, come in. They talked her down from trying to kill all of them and offered to pay her for her dad. She made two demands of them. One, she gets to pick a husband from among the Acer, And two, that they make her laugh. Odin stepped in and said that she could choose a husband, but she could only choose from what she saw from the knees down. She laughed. Sure. The man she had in mind was beautiful all over, so he wouldn't be that difficult to pick out in a shin lineup. She wanted to marry Balder, the son of Odin and Frigg. She agreed to this stipulation. As to making her laugh, they had something in mind for that, but she should get to picking her husband. Maybe they were behind a curtain or maybe wearing bags that covered them down to their knees. We don't know, but the male gods of Asgard lined up. Scotty went past several feet and shins until she found the most beautiful pair in Asgard. She chose contestant number three, and it was not Balder, not even close. Apparently another had been managing his cuticles and doing calf raises because she actually picked Nord. Nord was a member of the Vanir, a rival tribe of gods, but he was made into an honorary Acer after the Acer-Vanir War. He was associated with wealth, fertility, and the sea. She gave him a half smile. He wasn't her first choice, but he was good enough. She saw Balder step out from behind the curtain, and she was slightly dismayed with her silver medal husband. What happened next kind of made up for it, though. The Acer, who were still quite angry with Loki for being old for a week, dragged him out alongside a goat. They had a rope, and they tied one end around a goat's beard. They explained to Scotty that Loki was ultimately responsible for her father being in Asgard in the first place. They then handed Loki the other end of the rope, and Odin told him that he would be having a tug of war with the goat. Loki gave the rope a sharp tug, the goat yelped, and ran to him. Done, he said. It's easy when tied to the goat's beard. Odin said, oh, no, 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 no. You won't be holding it with your hands. Loki didn't know what they meant, but he recoiled in horror when they told him to take off his pants. He would be tying the rope to his testicles. Another super highbrow week here on the Myths and Legends podcast. Loki reluctantly finished tying the rope, and as soon as he did, Thor slapped the goat on the rear. The tug of war was on. The goat was shrieking, Loki was shrieking, and loudest of all, Scotty was laughing. Finally, Loki gave up and stopped pulling, but could only awkwardly run behind the goat before catching him. He took the beast to Scotty. He had tears in his eyes from pain and terror, she from laughter, and she said, yes, he could be finished. He cut the rope and, sadly, did not take yet another opportunity to reflect on his life and choices. Once this incredibly highbrow humor was finished, Scotty had buyer's remorse about Njord. Odin saw this and, yeah, Njord's all right, but he wasn't any balder. Odin said that he would sweeten the deal. He finally had the giant's corpse removed from the wall and brought to him. In front of the dead giant's daughter, he plucked the eyes from what Thor had left, and he threw them up, and they landed in the sky, where they could sit as stars and look down on her forever. All right, let's get to planning this wedding that no one's really thrilled about. Scotty and Nord 
did give it a shot, but they ran into conflict immediately when trying to figure out where to live. He had a nice, warm house on the beach where he could fall asleep listening to seabirds and the waves. She had Thunderhome with its constant thunder, frigid temperatures, and incessant howling of packs of wolves prowling the night. This was a tough choice. They resolved to spend nine nights at each home, going to Thunderhome first. Nior got exactly zero sleep, you know, with the thunder, wolves, and thermostat, which Scotty apparently would not let him touch. When it was finally time to go to his place for nine nights, he passed out as soon as he hit the bed. Body still shaking from the cold, and eyes ringed and puffy. But now Scotty couldn't sleep. The place was way too hot for starters, and she couldn't stand the grating sound of the seabirds or the gently lapping waves. It was horrible. They sat down and said, essentially, I say potato and like my warm beach house, and you say potato and like your frigid mountain fortress with constant lightning and wolves howling. Let's call the whole thing off. And now that she was the one who was stressed out and bleary-eyed, she completely agreed. They parted ways and never saw each other again. like how human the Acer are. They seem to only be gods because the story says so, and because they can magically turn each other into nuts. They have human tendencies and foibles, but more so than just the vengeful and predatory Greek pantheon. They are powerful, but they still need to make deals to survive. And they, mostly, seem to honor those agreements. I mean, when the agreements don't end with Loki being chased by a horse into a forest. And we should talk about Loki. It's difficult to understand his motivations. Self-preservation is definitely one of them, and sometimes he lashes out for no reason other than that he was angry. Still, other times, he's a prototypical trickster who just wants to watch the world burn. Baldur was the son of Odin and Freya, and if you remember from the story just now, he has a still nice but second-rate shins and feet. Odin, in a previous episode, gave up his eye for limited prescience, and he began having bad dreams about the son that he loved so much. He went down to the underworld to seek further answers from a dead Cirrus, and whether you're crashing a wedding with murderous intentions, giving a dragon slayer a pep talk, or going to the underworld to see why you're having dreams of your son's demise, it's good to go in disguise. He got there and was surprised. In the chilly mists of hell, and remember that's H-E-L, he saw a banquet hall. He found the Cirrus asleep and woke her and struck up a conversation. He was still in disguise and asked who the banquet was for. The Cirrus replied, Oh, you haven't heard? It's for Balder, Odin's son. He'll be here soon. She began telling him everything about how Balder would meet an unexpected and violent end. It would come from someone he knew, maybe even trusted, though really shouldn't. It would come from, Wait, the Cirrus asked, Why do you want to know so much about Odin's son? And why are you crying? And why do you only have one eye and act like an Odinic wanderer? Wait a second, are you Odin? Odin said, no, of course not. I'm nowhere near as good-looking, muscular, or popular as the super cool Odin. But really, you were just getting to the part where you told me how Balder dies. Not that he's my son or anything. The Cirrus said that she wasn't really comfortable with how this was going, and refused to say another word. Odin couldn't get her to talk. Finally, he went back to Asgard in deep despair. Frigg, his wife would not have it though. She wouldn't kowtow to fate, like Odin, and she had a solution. She went on a tireless journey all around the world. She, the chief among the female Acer, demanded a promise from every item in the world, that it would never harm her son, Balder, 
It took an enormous amount of time, but she refused to rest until everything on earth had made the pledge. Then, as she was resting at home after a long journey, she remembered something that she forgot. Mistletoe. She lay back, it didn't matter. Mistletoe was a tiny, young plant. It was so weak and innocent that it couldn't hurt Balder even if it wanted to. She laid back and rested. Her son was safe. She told him this, and I don't quite know how the game started, but they did. Really confident in the solution, they decided to not use it as an insurance policy, but as a way to pass boring afternoons. They would gather together and fling all manner of dangerous weapons at Balder, but nothing could hurt him, his perfect face, or his second-rate feet. Loki, deciding to test limits with some attempted deicide, came to Frigg in disguise, struck up a conversation, and asked, did she really get everything to swear to not hurt her son? Watching Thor wail on her son to no avail, she was convinced in his immortality. She said, of course, well, everything besides mistletoe, but that hardly counts, right? So young. Hey, what did you say your name was? She looked over, but Loki, in disguise, was gone. Over the next few days, Loki crafted a spear from mistletoe. Then, staying in the shadows, on an afternoon where they were once again hurling deadly weapons at the Allfather's son, he approached one man named Hodor, and no, not that Hodor. Hodor was blind, and his name was a little on the nose because it meant Slayer. Loki asked him if he felt left out, unable to safely fling deadly weapons at Balder. He said, yeah, it was a bummer, but what could he do? Loki said that he would be glad to help. He had this spear, and if Hodor simply stood, he would point the blind man in the right direction, and all he had to do was fling the spear. Then, he could join in on the fun of testing out the young man's gift. Hodor happily agreed. Standing behind Hodor, the blind man said that he didn't catch the helper's name. Loki said, oh, I know. All right, throw on three. One, two, three. We've talked about what happened next. Balder collapsed in a pile of his own blood, impaled by the one thing that could hurt him. Loki waited long enough to see the spear go through the young man, but was gone by the time the rest of the Acer looked back at Hodor, who was asking, did... Did it hit? Everyone was shocked by Baldur's death, but no one could really take vengeance, since the place was the sanctuary. In response though, Odin would get together with a giantess, and have a child named Vali, who would grow to adulthood in one day, and avenge Baldur by killing Hodor. As we talked about in the sixth episode of the podcast, Baldur had a funeral that included his body burning on a ship, and Thor punting a dwarf into the fire just because. Also, this will have more significance now if you've listened to the Trickster episode, but Odin placed his ring that makes more rings on the ship. Someone who actually studies this stuff at Cambridge reached out to me after the Trickster episode. I was off with my reading of the Gift of the Rings. In pagan Scandinavian society, kings and chieftains gave out gifts to their retainers, and a good ruler would hand out precious arm rings to their warriors in thanks for their services. It wasn't just an expensive gift, but it recognized Odin as the paramount ruler. Thanks so much to Katie for that one. And now he was laying it mournfully on his son's funeral pyre. Frigg made an offer to the Acer to see if anyone wanted to gain her love and favor by riding the road to hell to get Balder back from the dead. Everyone shifted uncomfortably and didn't make eye contact until one of Odin's lesser sons raised his hand. Odin gave him Sletnir, Loki's eight-legged horse son because that happened, and Odin's son rode through nine days worth of valleys before reaching hell. Long story short, Hell agreed to let Balder back to the land of the living, but only if he was as well-loved as everyone said. Everything living, and once living on the earth, had to weep for Balder. If they did, Balder could return home. The son of Odin returned, and went on the saddest road trip ever. 
where he tried to get everyone to cry for his dead brother. Finally, at the edge of the world, he trudged through the snow to find a cave. In that cave was a giantess, who looked a surprising amount like English actor Tom Hiddleston. This giantess only said a few things to Odin's son, and she ended by saying, Alive or dead, Odin's son gave me no joy. Let hell keep what she has. She slammed whatever makeshift door a cave on the edge of the world would have in Odin's son's face, and the boy took the long journey back to Asgard. You could see the rage burning in Odin's eye. Loki had done some horrible things, but they usually took care of themselves or ended in a net gain for the Aesir. He had finally gone too far. Baldur would remain dead, and it was all Loki's fault. Worse, Odin knew that this was the first step towards Ragnarok, the end of all things. They eventually caught up with Loki. He was a salmon, hiding in a river, when Thor caught him. The Aesir threw him to the ground and demanded he turn back. Soaking wet, he smiled his, who me, smile? But he only met the angry faces of the Acer warriors. He was dragged to a cave. They refused to listen to him when he tried to talk his way out of it like he always did. And then he heard the sounds of struggling. Loki had sons with his wife, in addition to his other monstrous children, Hel, the Midgard serpent, and Sleipnir. His two sons with his wife were dragged into the cave and thrown to the ground. Odin calmly walked in. He wouldn't talk with Loki, he wouldn't bargain. Loki had gone too far and he had to pay. Odin had lost his son, and so would Loki. He touched one of Loki's sons in the forehead and stepped back. Before Loki's eyes, his son began to change. His back warped and he became stooped. His fingers curled and his face elongated. Gray hair popped out from all over his body. His teeth grew and claws popped from his hands, which turned into paws. One of Loki's sons had been turned into a feral wolf, and he was hungry. There, before the wolf, was Narfi, Loki's other son, bound and gagged. We don't know if the older brother screamed from within as he devoured the younger, but when he was finished, the Acer let the wolf escape out of the cave and run off, never to be seen again. Loki sat in horror, but it would get so much worse. Odin went to Narfi's body and pulled out the entrails until he had enough. Loki was held down and bound with his son's entrails. When they were certain the entrails would hold, Odin touched them, and they became iron. If you think being bound by your son's body parts and abandoned in a cave is bad, then I have vastly undersold Odin's anger. A poisonous snake was placed on the rocks above Loki, and made to forever hold its mouth open. Loki saw the poison drip, forming on the snake's fang. It grew and grew, until it dropped on his face. It burned, and Loki could feel the poison being absorbed through his skin, and coursed through his body. He writhed in agony. Soon, it passed, but just as it did, another drop fell. Odin watched Loki writhe in pain, and he was still heartbroken, despite his revenge. As we talked about, the reason he was so distraught about Baldur was not only because Baldur was his beloved son, but because of what he had seen when he gave up his eye and gained knowledge of the future. Baldur's death would start a chain of events that led them to Ragnarok. And whether Odin knew it or not, this was another. Loki would be changed after this, he wouldn't just be the mischievous trickster they had come to know, but something far more dangerous. The time would come when he would break the iron that bound him, and he would go to his other children, Fenrir, the wolf, and Jormagandr, the Midgard serpent, and others. The worlds would be enveloped in ice and fire, and the sky would split, and Loki would ride at the head of an army to take revenge for his son 
and his years of torture. There was some comfort for Loki. His wife came when the other Acer had left with a bowl. She had heard and felt his pain. In fact, there were earthquakes all over the world. Whenever he writhed, she would stand by him, collect the poison in a bowl, and together they would mourn their son. Also, she occasionally had to empty the bowl, and in those times, the poison would hit Loki's face, and that's where earthquakes come from. Ragnarok is the end of the world, and, spoiler alert, it has not happened yet, because we occupy the world and it's still here. We'll get there, though. It's an excellent, beautiful story, full of destruction, monster fights, and hope for a better tomorrow. I want to say thanks to Domo34200X, Ashman2020, Melinda Pendulum, Lord Dalman, Matthew SET0, Heart Love Lace, Eds1205, Dodo Bird, Funky Leaf, Slusherizer, Lola85, Sweet Pea Girl92, Terry McLaren, King Ridge93, Slade Gar, Esther Hia, LM6160, Ashmar7858, and prettiest of them all for the reviews on iTunes. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I'm just, I'm incredibly grateful. There are over 3,600 reviews in the United States alone. I never dreamed it would get this big. Thank you so, so much. If you'd like to leave a review, iTunes is the best place, and you can find the show there at itunes.mythpodcast.com. And as always, there is a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of a t-shirt with a cat with an eye patch and a sword riding a fire-breathing unicorn chased by dinosaurs, and I did that in one breath, you can get extra episodes, source-back ebooks, and ad-free versions of the show that will not make you nearly as awesome as a t-shirt with a cat with an eye patch and a sword riding a fire-breathing unicorn being chased by dinosaurs. For more info on the membership, check out support.mythpodcast.com. The creature this week is the Slay Beggy from the Isle of Man, which is between Great Britain and Ireland and among the British Isles. They are believed to be the shy, stocky original inhabitants of the Isle of Man. They enjoy playing nice music, the occasional hunt, and war. They live underground, but apparently hate artificial light. I read that their clothes never wear out, but then I read in another place that they just go around naked, so their clothes never wear out, probably because they just sit in a drawer the whole time. If you're looking to keep your clothes nice, walking everywhere naked will solve that one problem, but in many societies, create many others. They also apparently hate fires and ash and warmth. Like most creatures, they seem to enjoy some light kidnapping, but no one really knows what they do with their kidnapped humans, because presumably, no one has been kidnapped in many years. They hate salt too, so with our electric lights, heat, and high sodium diets, the squat, hairy, naked creatures are pretty content to just leave us alone. If you're wandering the Isle of Man at night and see a horde of squat, hairy, naked warriors coming your way, you can know they are the Slaybaggy because the Slaybaggy have crow's feet, literally crow's talons for their feet. Really though, if you see a horde of squat, hairy, naked warriors coming your way in the night, you should really just run, no matter what type of feet they have. That's it for this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. Other music is by Pottington Bear and Blue Dot Sessions. Links to still more music are in the show notes. If you haven't already, don't forget to check out Career Day, our other show, hosted by my wife, Carissa. 
It just launched and there are two episodes waiting for you. You can find the show on iTunes at itunes.careerdayshow.com. All right, thanks for listening and I'll see you next time. 